0: So I'm going to do something today that I normally do not do, and that is I'm going to take a whole sermon to put a microscope to a single verse, and it is Isaiah 61, verse 1, Um, and there are obvious reasons why I don't typically do this. Um, I like to make sure that we stay in context and that We look at a bigger picture usually, but I trust that this will be a blessing to you. So let me read that verse, and then we will pray, and then we'll dig in. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, to bind up the brokenhearted, good tidings unto the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the... um. <sighs> the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we consider these aspects of your Son and of his incarnation to the world, Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Lord, I pray that you would bless me with strength. I pray that you would help my voice not to give out. But above all, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) All right, so I started thinking about... Uh, what to share um, in this Christmas season, and I titled this message Hope in a Hopeless World. And I think about that passage in Luke when Jesus gets up and reads this passage, and then he follows it up by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And for us, looking back, we can look at that passage and It can be filled with joy and we can be filled with excitement that that was fulfilled, but that wasn't the response of the people that were there that day. Instead, they got angry. And they wanted to throw him over a cliff. But it wasn't his time, and so he passed through the crowd. I believe that he, um, being God, was able to make himself invisible. And it says he passed through the crowd and... um, went another way, because it was not yet his time. And so today I want to look at these different aspects. Um, the first one is, The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. One of the interesting aspects of the Gospel story, and in the original as Jesus was coming in the original incarnation, was that he came to people and spoke to people who he knew would listen. Some people wonder why he went to shepherds when this is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet, what did they do when they found out? It says, let us go now and see this thing which the Lord has made known unto us. They didn't wait. There was no hesitation. And when they did find what the angel said, what did they do after that? They went and they told everyone and spread the news abroad that this has happened, this is true. And so we see in that that God came to those who are willing to receive the message. And I just want to look at a couple of instances of this. First, let's look at Luke 146 one forty seven to fifty. Luke one forty seven to fifty. I have a lot of scriptures to go through today, so if somebody can get to them and then be prepared to stand and read, that would be awesome. Luke one forty seven to fifty. We'll follow that with Luke two, eleven to fourteen, and then Matthew five, five. So let's start with Luke one forty seven to fifty.
1: Asks, Rejoice in God, my Savior, for He has regarded the low estate of His handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is His name. And his mercy is on them that fear Him, from generation to generation. This, of course, is
0: Mary's response to the awesome privilege of having the Son of God growing in. The world. And she says, she's very humble. You know, the Catholics would have you believe that, Jesus, that Mary was sinless, that she has a place of holiness in the line to get to God. The Bible says we have only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. But it does say that Mary was highly favored among women. Now, why do you think that is? The first phrase in that passage gives us an idea. The Lord has regarded the lowliest state of his handmaiden. She was meek. She was humble. She wasn't walking around. She didn't run to Elizabeth and say, Guess what? I get to bear the Son of God. I'm so special. No. As a matter of fact, it was Elizabeth and her declaration that spurred this on. Because God revealed through His Holy Spirit to Elizabeth that Mary was carrying the Son of God. And she said, What blessing it is for me that the mother of my Lord should enter into my household. And and she said, When you entered into the house, the babe in my womb leapt. John was already foretelling the birth of Jesus, even as an unborn baby. So if anybody wants to tell me that unborn babies aren't living human beings that have life, I need only to point them to this story. The first one to proclaim the gospel was an unborn baby. And we see, as Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so the message went to Mary. Remember, Zachariah wasn't really meek about it. He was <laughs> disbelieving um, and had an attitude about the situation, and God said, "You're going to be struck dumb because you did not believe my messenger." <laughs> Gabriel said it this way. He said, "I am Gabriel, who stands before Almighty God." What an amazing thing to say! Now, Luke two eleven to fourteen. Luke two eleven
1: to fourteen. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
0: And again, I've already uh, talked about. If you read further in that passage, you find that the shepherd's response was, let's go now. I don't know what happened to their sheep. I don't know if they brought sheep with them. Sometimes manger scenes have sheep in them. I don't know what all the deal is. Um, but I know that they were that they were not neglectful of their duties and that God took care of the situation. Perhaps God put those sh- put those sheep in a special sleep so that their masters could go and see this baby and come back. But whatever happened, God had it in control and they went immediately and they found the babe just as God had said. You know, there, you, you think about the, the manger and you, you think, well, why would God choose to put a baby in a manger? But I was thinking about that this week and I realized that there was probably a ton of babies in that city at that time because all the world was being taxed. Everyone who was of David's lineage was there. They were Every place was full up, and we don't know if that was because of suspicions of Mary and Joseph or if it was a legitimate thing of being full up. Um, my brother and I were talking, and he said that he had read that often when they traveled... Back then, for things like that, they would travel in caravans. um, And if nobody in their caravan um, cared that she was ready to deliver, then that kind of gives a whole other dimension to the whole idea of no room in the inn. But whatever happened, they went and found the one baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Details are important to God, because it said that they found the babe in the manger exactly as the angel had said. It wasn't close to what the angel said. It was exactly as the angel said. When God says something's going to happen, it happens exactly as he says. The details are important. And then looking at Matthew five, 5 Matthew five five.
1: Blessed are the I meek. Mean. For they shall inherit the
0: earth. Symbol truth we mentioned earlier, the meek will inherit the earth. God wants open hearts. That's who he comes to. I think about this in terms of his resurrection as well, because I always wondered why he didn't just go to Pilate after he rose and stand in front of Pilate and say, even you couldn't condemn me to death. Nothing you did could hold me in the grave. But you know why he didn't do that? Because he went to those who would be open to the resurrection. He went to those who would rejoice at the resurrection. He went to those who loved him and who cared about him. So if you want God to show up in your life this holiday season or in 2019 humble yourself. The scriptures say humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. It also says that if we humble ourselves he will exalt us but if we exalt ourselves he will have no choice but to humble us. Sobering words. And yet we know that he has come to declare the truth to the meek. A popular play and movie this time of year, one I always enjoy watching, is A Christmas Carol. There is one scene that has always fascinated me. The ghost of Christmas past has just paid a very discomforting visit to Ebenezer Scrooge. Clearly, the old miser is shaken by the entire ordeal, but when he awakens from his sleep, he does not take the message to heart. No, he simply dismisses it by saying, Bah! Humbug! It wasn't real. Just a bit of last night's undigested beef, he says to himself. There is more of gravy about you than there is grave. A vision to be taken to heart or simple indigestion, you tell me. The point being that When God comes to us with a message of hope as he has through Jesus Christ we have a choice. Do we accept it or do we reject it? He's not going to force himself but he says, behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come in, and I will sup with him, and he with me. And I think he's saying that to believers as much as to unbelievers. Sometimes we get too overwhelmed with the busyness of the season, and we forget to acknowledge him and his place in it. And uh, on my podcast I'm going through a series on Advent right now. I just posted week two on Friday, and I would encourage you to check those out at speakingforhim.com. But just a time to come aside for a few minutes and um, think consider in these first few weeks about the first coming of Jesus. And in the final week, we'll be addressing the second coming. Of Jesus. In all these things, he was in control the whole time. The Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, then came a man born of a woman to redeem those who are under the law. And that was you and me. Okay, the second part of our verse... says he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted we look at Isaiah 41:10 Isaiah 41:10 Sometimes we go through things, and the only thing holding us up is God. I think of the time when my brother died at three months of age. And if it was possible for you to give up your faith, I would have. But you see, the Bible says in John chapter 10 that Jesus is holding me. That I'm in His hand, which is wrapped in His Father's hand. And that no one can pluck me out of His hand. And that was the only hope I ever had during that dark year of 1992 to 1993 was that he was upholding me because I certainly wasn't holding myself up. I felt similarly just a couple months ago when my grandfather passed away. There was so much I wanted him to see me accomplish that he didn't get to. And I, I don't know if I'll ever accomplish those things, but... If I do, there will be a bittersweet quality to them because he wasn't there to see them. And at the same time, because of the hope we have in Jesus, I'm determined to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because I know that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I know that if I can encourage the saints along the road to heaven or I can encourage even one more lost soul to trust Him, then I will have a great amount of things to talk with my grandpa about someday about how God was faithful. Can we look at Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. This is a familiar passage, but as I've often said, I think familiarity breeds apathy sometimes. So we need to be exercised in studying these familiar passages.
1: Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, upon you, and learn it in heart, and he shall find rest unto my soul,
0: my yoke and my It's amazing to me how many people, even professing Christians, want to take on a hard yoke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, "You, you put a yoke on the shoulders of the people that you are called to serve. That's greater than one that you cannot even." Bear yourself. Paul wrote a whole book in the book of Galatians about how we're not supposed to be in a yoke of bondage. He said to the Galatians, I, I preached to you the gospel of grace, and somebody bewitched you to believe that the law was necessary along. With grace. Now the law is still God's law. It's still important to study, still important to know. But the law isn't getting me to heaven. I can't follow the law. The Bible says that if I'm guilty in one point, I'm guilty of every part of it. It's only grace. And it's only Jesus. And Paul says, if somebody preaches to you another gospel, than the one I have preached to you, let him be accursed. What did he say the gospel was? He said, the gospel is that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. That, my friends, is the gospel. If you're trusting in anything else, stop. Pastor Clifford, as Stewart of Louisville, Kentucky, sent his parents a microwave oven one Christmas. Here's how he recalls the experience. They were excited that they, too, could be a part of the instant generation. When Dad unpacked the microwave and plugged it in, literally within seconds, the microwave transformed two smiles into frowns. Even after reading the directions, they couldn't make it work. Two days later, my mother was playing bridge... <coughs> with a friend and confessed her inability to get the microwave to even boil water. To get this darn thing to work, she exclaimed, I really don't need better directions. I just needed my son to come along with the gift. When God gave the gift of salvation, he didn't send a booklet of complicated instructions for us to figure out. He sent his son In Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about how God, at various times and in various ways, made known the truth unto us, has in these last days sent to us His Son. Jesus' whole ministry was about using physical aspects of the world to show spiritual truth even when he healed people from their physical diseases, as much as he delighted to do that, and I believe he did, his main purpose was to show a spiritual truth. His main purpose was to say, you cannot do anything without me. And to think that the God of the universe, because we weren't paying attention to him any other way, And incidentally, it's kind of interesting. We still, by and large, didn't pay attention to him even after he was human. But he said, there's only one way that I can get their attention and that's to become one of them. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever just stop and contemplate that the God of the universe said the only way that I'm going to help these people is to become one of them. And he didn't come on, the, you know, land. You know, he could have landed on the earth much as he went up from the earth and just landed as an adult. That was in his ability to do. But the Bible says we have a great high priest who is familiar with all of our weaknesses, all of our infirmities. How could he do that? He did that by coming not as a warrior with a sword, but as a baby whose mother probably counted his fingers and his toes just like she would of any other baby. Who, um, despite the song Away in the Manger, I'm pretty sure Jesus cried. because the Bible says he was like us in every respect except for one that he never sinned and thus he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it sometimes as an admonition too, to us, we don't need more stuff from the people we love, we just need the people we love. Some parents get so busy that they think that just giving their kids everything that they think their kids want is the answer. I remember a story, and I think I've told it here before, but this Little boy asked his dad what what he made in an hour at his job and he said a hundred dollars. And the boy went to his piggy bank and he counted out fifty dollars and he said, Dad, can I have fifty dollars? And the dad at first was was angry. He said, Well, why why would you need fifty dollars, thinking that he wants the latest gizmo? Or whatever. And finally after stewing about it for a little while, he decides, I'm I'm just going to give him the $50. And he can have whatever he wants. And the boy pulled out his $50 and the $50 that his dad gave him and said, Can I have an hour of your time? me that's such a moving story because although I don't have children yet, I think it's important for us, you know, regardless of who the people are in our lives, to prioritize them over the things that we do and the things that we want. I believe that God sent me to impact people. I'm a very people-oriented person. And Jesus always had time for people. And it's my prayer, even though I sometimes fail, it's my prayer to be that kind of man who always has time for the people in my life, even when they don't seem to return the favor sometimes. But I just think about how Jesus was because he he wanted time from those that loved him, and usually they were just asking for things and not just spending time grateful for his presence. And what a conviction that is to me and should be to all of us. Okay. So... We've talked about now, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And we've talked about, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Our third point is to proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Could we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 9? Ephesians
1: 2, 4-9. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, together with Christ, by grace ye are saved raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, not yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of the works, lest any man should boast
0: so we see here that we were dead in trespasses and sins I think we have a modern false theology permeating Christianity today often that says I'm pretty good on my own but I'll add Christianity or I have this bad habit that I need God to take care of for me and sure, that surely there's truth to that but The reality, folks, is that God did not come to make bad people good so much as he came to make dead people alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's interesting that as Jesus um, is talking to the Pharisees and he said, you're of your father, the devil, and you're bound by him. And they said, we've never been bound by anyone. It's so, it's so, it would be funny if it wasn't sad because they've been bound their whole life. They've been bound the whole, the whole history of, of the children of Israel is about bondage because they were bound to the Egyptians. They were bound to the various nations that prevailed against them in the book of Judges. And as Jesus is standing there talking about their bondage to the devil, he doesn't even mention to them that they're bound by the Romans. Because guess who they had to go to in order to kill Jesus? They had to go to the Romans and say, Our law says he must die. But because you are in charge, you have to do it. So they were in bondage their whole lives, and yet they said, we are bound to no man. That's, that's the lies of the devil. There's so many people bound by the devil today that think they're not bound. But freedom, true freedom, is found in Jesus. in Him alone. And incidentally, I've told people this before too, but I'll say it again. I would rather be bound in this wheelchair, never be able to walk a step in my life, than to be able to break the four-minute mile and be running straight into hell. That's the bottom line truth. It doesn't get any more real than that. And, uh, so, we're talking about liberty, so of course, you must go to the liberty chapter, Galatians chapter 5, two verses here, verse 1 and 13, if somebody could read verse 1 and 13, that would be great.
1: Freedom Christ has set us Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse thirteen: For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another.
0: That is one of the models of Rest Haven Homes, and I love it. By love, serve one another. What a wonderful truth for us to know today. For Christ has come. If Christ had not been born, hearts burdened and forlorn, must seek in vain peace to attain, to attain if Christ had not been born. If to the Bethlehem home the Christ child had not come, with love would seem... oh. Grisha, I come. Hearts now gleam with love would seem, but drear had not Christ come. But now, both hope and cheer God gives for every year to seeking hearts, His grace imparts. His love for Christ has come. Remember, the Apostle Paul said it this way He said, If Christ be not risen, And our faith is in vain. And we are of all men most miserable. And then there's a glorious word. But. Now is Christ risen. And then he talks about how death is swallowed up in victory. And the grave has no power. Why? Because when they walked to that grave that Sunday morning. To put the spices on a dead man, they found no man except for some angels who said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. What did we talk about earlier? That the details of the story are important. That everything happens just as he says with no alteration All right so our fourth point this morning and the opening of the prison to them that are bound John 8:36 to 39 John 8,
1: 36-39. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants,
0: but you speak to kill me, because my word has no place in you.
1: I speak what I have seen of my Father and you do what you have seen with your father. He answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. He said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham.
0: So, first of all, this passage starts off with one of the greatest promises we could ever be given. If the Son, therefore, shall set you free, you will be free indeed he doesn't go back on his word he doesn't do a half freedom he doesn't say oh okay so you can be half free no he says you're free do we all we don't always live up to our position we don't always think of ourselves as free and sometimes we still sin i'm not perfect just ask my family but the reality is that i'm free because my life is hid with Christ and God. And Christ paid the debt. When I get to heaven someday, it's not going to be how many sermons I preached. It's not going to be how many hours I spent in church. It's not going to be how many songs I sang for Him. Although those are good things. It's simply going to be why should you come into heaven? And I'm going to say because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. An and again, if you're trusting in anything else, please stop because it's not the right thing. People, some people say if you're sincere, that's what matters, but it is possible to be sincerely wrong. And I want to see all of you, when I get my new body, when I start running along the streets of gold, I'm not going to stand still for a moment because I've done enough of that. But if you want to try to keep up with me, I welcome the challenge. Um, And then our final passage for today, Romans 8, 1 and 2, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, we're free. You ever think if... I mean, I I can't imagine what it would be like to have lived in the Old Testament era. And I know there will be Old Testament saints in heaven, but how discouraging it must have gotten at some points. You know, to believe that Jesus was coming to take the sin of the world, but to wait year after year... Lifetime after lifetime for it to happen. There are so many times when I say, God, why aren't you speeding things up? Why is this not happening in my life? Or this other thing that I want to happen so bad? Why why are you waiting? And then I remember that His timing is best. In Galatians, to remind you, it says, when the fullness of time had come, when every the second had ticked off God's clock. Which incidentally, he's not bound by time. We are. And so we think of things linearly in in time. But he knows the end from the beginning. But when his clock said it was time, he sent Jesus to that manger. And uh, when his clock says... It's time he's going to send Jesus again. But he's not going to come in a manger this time. He's going to come with a sword. And those who are with him, those who have come, have died before, will, I believe, come with him and witness the battle of the ages. And he's just going to open his mouth and speak the word, and it's going to be over. Because that's the power of Jesus. He said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Why did he say that? Because dividing people was more important than avoiding the truth. It's more important for you to believe in Jesus than to have harmony in your home. He wants us to have harmony in our home. He wants Jesus to bring that harmony to our home. But if the harmony is at the expense of the gospel, he doesn't want anything to do with it. I'm glad that I live in a time when the New Testament was written. I'm glad that I know the end of the story. And I'm glad that the end of the story says that we win. Bobby had read in his Bible lesson with Daddy just before bedtime the words, If I had not come. When he thought he woke on Christmas morning, there was no stocking or holly wreath. He went for a walk and found factories busy at work. He went to the orphanage and found only a vacant lot. Then he went to the church and found a for sale sign um, with, If I had not come, written at the bottom Again he found these words over a gate post of an empty lot, where he went to find the hospital. Disconsolate, he ran home and picked up his Bible, but all the last part of the book had blank pages. He awoke and 10. He awoke, and it was a dream. Do you wonder? He slipped down on his knees and said, Oh dear Jesus, I'm so glad that you did come. Help me to tell others about you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he did come. And as I look at the cradle this holiday season, I also look at the cross. Because those very hands that Mary held in her hands, would be the one that was stretched forth on the cross. Jesus, in effect, saying, I love you this much. And Mary being there, and I'm sure crying the anguish out of her soul, remember, Simeon told her that would happen. Simeon said, A sword will pierce your soul also, And I'm pretty sure as she was crying at the cross, she was looking back over the years and looking at different aspects of Jesus' life. And no doubt remember that day when they brought him to the temple and Simeon said those words. But he did that for you and for me. And we can be grateful that, I think it's interesting that Jesus said in order to trust him you have to have the faith of a child because you can always try to argue the gospel away what you just have to believe and take it on faith and God will take care of the rest in another reference to a Christmas carol. It's interesting that Charles Dickens in that book talks about having the faith of a child and he says, because the founder of Christmas himself was a child. What encouraging thoughts for us to consider and to remember to serve others and to share Christ with them. The disciples were assembled in the upper room. They didn't know that Jesus would be leaving very soon. They talked about his kingdom as they readied for the feast. Who would be the greatest and who would be the least? One said, if there's the greatest, I hope I'm the one. Others talked of miracles that they had seen or done. No one noticed Jesus as he rose up from his seat until he knelt before them and began to wash their feet. I've come
1: to serve you. I've come to serve you, and if you know my Father's love the way you say you do, then you will serve each other too. I wish I could have been there
0: to see the look on each man's face. The simple act of
1: service puts us all back in our place. For though we're called to minister, And do miracles in his name. Remember when we're sent by him. The reason that he came. I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you.
0: thank you for these words in Isaiah, and we thank you that Jesus read them in the synagogue many years later, and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Lord, we thank you for the fulfillment of scripture. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross, but that there's a chapter after that, because he rose again. Lord, I pray that you would be with us all as we go our separate ways. Thank you for speaking through me today and for giving me strength. Uh, Now, uh, just make your face shine upon these saints and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.